Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Surf Stories, the podcast brought to you by the Florida Surf Film Festival. I'm your host, John Brooks. Alongside me, as always, is co-host Kevin Miller. Glad to be here, John. Yeah. So today, we are bringing you something new and a little special. Um, It is our first edition of the book lineup. Yep, that's right. Actually, it took a while to get here, but we actually finally did it. I mean, did we just start a book club? I think so. We, I mean, we actually conceived of this simultaneously with the podcast, but it's taken us till now to actually um, read a book. Yeah, no, that's, that's a big call, big ask in today's TV environment, would you say? Yes, yes, for sure. But um, yeah, we, uh, we're hoping to make this a quarterly installment in the podcast, and we will be reviewing uh, books that um, may have things to do with surfing, may not, um, but just interesting books that we uh, hear about. They're going to make you smarter. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, or drunker, depending on depending. Yes, talking we, to when you're we did have cocktails along with uh, our, our first guest, and that definitely made it challenging to speak into the microphone. I had to keep up with Macaluso, who is <laughs> on the podcast. You'll hear him chime in here you know, once in a while. Yes, but our first guest was none other than Chaz Smith uh, of Beach Grit fame. And Chaz is a, a friend of the festival, and I'm proud to say a friend of mine and Kevin's. And uh, he's just an incredibly witty guy, um, sharp, sharp guy, and a f- fantastic writer, as it turns out. He has skills. He does. He does. Unreal. S- self-honed skills, as we find out. Well, he's worked hard at it. I mean, obviously, uh, you don't devote your life to writing and sit around in a room and, and just read good books. He actually went out there and did it. Yeah, yeah, he lived the life, and uh, his latest book, which is his third uh, book that he's published, uh, Reports from Hell, uh, chronicles the last two decades that he spent uh, running around the Middle East um, from Palestine to Yemen to Somalia to Egypt to, gosh, just about everywhere, and uh, he talks about some of the surfing that he does along the way, and but he also talks about being a war slash fashion correspondent for various <laughs> publications, including Al Gore's uh, famous Current TV from back in the day. And uh, yeah, we're going to chat with Chaz. He's joining us from his beautiful home in North County, San Diego, to discuss uh, the merits of banana milk, boxed banana milk, along with the utter uselessness of bell-bottom denim in a war zone. 
Uh, and yeah. is it even a war if you don't view it through Versace aviators? That's a good question. I, I mean, you don't go to all those countries that you listed and not come out a comedian. And that's precisely what comes out of the book is a good sense of humor, but there's some history in it too. God forbid you actually learned something here. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the fashion stuff is uh, pure comedy. It is. It is. It's great. And I actually, I like how he describes it as a way to kind of uh, chronologically mark a time period by the fashion. It. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and you learn a few words too, like mylar. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure yeah. a surf coffin, you know, surfboard bag, coffin, whatever you call it. It's just like I didn't. I've never even thought about the material that it's made of, but I learned the word mylar. I never thought that it would look like a uh, package full of RPG rocket launchers <laughs> on the roof of your car. Neither either. did he. Trust, trust <laughs> yeah. me. But anyways, yeah, we're stoked to have Chaz uh, along with us uh, to take this journey and talk about his book. And thanks for joining us. And yeah, we'll get right to it. <laughs> stoked to have uh, Chaz on here as our first guest. There can never be another first book lineup. And uh, yeah, we're super stoked to have you on, Chaz. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. And uh, now I'll just, without, without getting into too much like introductions and stuff, I'll just kind of get right into it. This is your third book, correct? Yes. Okay. And um, pretty rapid succession on those books. I know like cocaine and surfing came out in 2018 and then uh, welcome to paradise was two years before that. Was it? I think welcome to paradise was 11. I can't remember, but I think there was a gap between, yeah, it felt like forever and ever and ever between those two, but I don't think. Yeah. Were, yeah okay. A couple of years. But, I think it was five years maybe. Yeah. The, but a, you, te- you, a testament to go to hell or, uh, you know, welcome to paradise, paradise is that it feels more current than that. It feels like, I mean, it's really, it's really super dated, which is, it it is, but I also feel when I read it, I'm like, I feel engaged. Like it was like, I'm there in 2000. I mean, like trying to write for, at least in my thinking, trying to write surf eternally is impossible because it's always, I mean, even though it's, it doesn't change that much, like the fashion and everything changes so much. So if you're trying to like guess what's going to happen, who knows? So you might as well really capture like if I could really capture, you know, 2010, 2011, the way pro surfing felt then, then that's all it was. Yeah, you did a good job. Nice, nice. And that, that actually kind of leads me into my first question, Chad. I was like, so your first book was all about surfing and then uh, cocaine and surfing, obviously uh, a love story about uh, surfing and uh, our favorite drug of choice. And, uh, and then this book has – components of surfing in it surfing is a theme throughout the book but it's definitely not a surf book and uh so um first off what what brought about that change in direction and uh and why why did you write this book now funny when i wrote welcome to paradise i thought that for sure that was my one and only surf book i would never write another surf book again uh that i'd said everything i wanted to say about it and that was it and i was going to go write other stuff and I think as I was thinking of ideas and pitching books to my agent and publishers then, like nothing was really catching. And I wrote uh, the prop for Cocaine and Surfing just as a total lark. Uh, it was just a, the dumbest pitch ever. And that's the one that sold. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh no, when it sold? Because, I mean, I thought, other oh, stories there and I'll tell those stories. And every, but I realized very quickly that there's no stories there. I mean, there's the ones, you know, that we know. Sure. Um, but cocaine makes people do boring things. And so if I would have done LSD and surfing a love story or, you know, anything else and methamphetamine and surfing a love story probably would have been a lot better where you get just, you know, Chris Ward driving across, uh, driving across all of Australia. You know, I don't know that he was on meth. That's maybe a bad thing to say, but anyway, people do more interesting stuff on meth than they do cocaine. So then it was like, it was a real chore to write. But I kept thinking as I was writing it, I, I just want the next one to be the Middle East. I'd, I'd had so many, it was such a huge part of my life. Uh, 
and so that was it. Once, once I was done with that, I, I dug basically straight into that and I was writing it no matter what. And it just yeah. happened to sell also, but I had already started writing it, you know, before it even sold. Yeah. When did you start writing? I think I started writing it literally. I think I was personally, I think the writing in cocaine and surfing is good, but I wasn't so excited about the story. And so I think I was just, I was thinking about it even as I was writing that. And then honestly, I got into it like weeks after cocaine and surfing came out. Okay. And did you get an order from your publisher or was this more or less like, uh, I'm going to fish it or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put it out there. I didn't even care. Like I was just, I was just writing it no matter what I was tired of. I felt like the process of pitching books and all that, um, it had just annoyed me at that point. And I was like, no, forget this. I'm going to write what I want to write. And if it sells, it sells. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, it'll be a memoir for, for my children and for, you know, for this book, for Josh and Nate's kids and their families and all that too. Like we had this experience and you know, ongoing experience, like years and years and years, just running rampant through the middle East. And I just thought now's the time uh, to write this story. So and the publisher wanted it straight away. Like, uh, I think I even wrote the weakest prop ever for it. And, you know, they, they scooped it up without even me having to sell it, which felt good. Nice. Oh, yeah. nice. Absolutely. So I, go ahead. Uh, you had a question? Yeah. So from a writing standpoint, like what's your, do you have a process um, as, an, as an award-winning author? As an award-nominated have- author. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah do you do you go do you like write by word count do you write by page count do you do time of day like like take us take us through like a, a, an average day in the author chaz smith i thought with welcome to paradise i thought what i am I'm, i may not be good but i'm fast and so i would build up to like i think i was starting at welcome to paradise i would get like a thousand words done a day I, I was purely writing two word count almost where by the end of it i think i was almost churning 10,000 a day, uh, which is a lot of words. So I finished, and my memory is so hazy, but I feel like I finished welcome really quick. Cocaine was a, like just a knockdown drag out slog to write. So Mm. it took me longer, but my process was similar. This one is totally different or this one was totally different. Uh, I wrote a, it took a long time because it was, it meant something to me or more than cocaine obviously but so i i took time with it um but i sent an early draft over to josh and nate who were in the in the book with me more or less the whole time and i thought okay this is you know this might not this is my first draft way in guys and they both came back like okay this is fine what what even is this like the dates were all over the place i was completely (laughs) wrong in every single chronology. And so then I had to rethink the entire thing. And sort of at that point, why surfing, I guess, is infused more in it than I even imagined the start was how much surfing is a part of my life and how much those two things were overlapped. My, my Middle Eastern stuff and the surfing stuff were all more or less happening at the same time. Gotcha, gotcha. But so this one, all to say, this one, uh, with this one, I'm all confused now because I'm thinking about the one I'm writing right now, which is a totally different process altogether of <laughs> slowness. But I, I feel like I've slowed down. I've stopped trying to write quick. Uh, and now I'm just trying to write good or well. And so um, I'll write every day, but I don't, there's no pressure to get this many words done. Or I used to really have that. Okay. If I don't hit the thousand word mark yeah. in a day, then I blew it. Now it's like, you know, if I wrote 50 words a day, if I deleted 50 words a day, it doesn't much matter as long as I was in the process. Go ahead. As long as you feel feel like you're making forward progress, even if that's deleting stuff, then you feel like that's a successful day. And it, and it's all day. Like I think as my life as a writer has become more, you know, I'm writing all day, every day between beach grit and everything else, magazine stuff. I'm writing all day, every day. So I kind of slot stuff in. And with this one too, like I would, it, every book so far I'll take in this one too. I'll take time. Like I'll go somewhere. So for the first time I went to Palm Springs for this one, I just went to LA just by myself for I think three days and just give myself no taking care of kids, no, you know, buying dinner or shopping, no anything, just no beach, no nothing, just sitting down. And so, and I'll usually try to do that when I have enough headwind. And that's what I did for this one. I feel like get enough headwind and then I can kind of let it flow. 
Okay. Makes, makes sense to me because uh, cocaine and surfing actually had a little bit of research in it and interview based. And it was like, a, I could see how that would take longer. This yeah. was more of a, like a road novel almost where you're like on Benzedrine, knocking it out. And uh, it, but feels- it, was, it was so hard though to, rem- I mean, thankfully Josh and Nate's memories are like, yeah, bear, bear traps. So they would have, so when I was wrong, I could, they would correct me and or they, but they would always real gently because it's my impression right it's my books they'd be like well yeah m- maybe but then there were you know this actually happened and so then i'd be like okay oh, now i remember i might have to go go phase it all back out so that that was actually something i was going to ask you is did you like when you were doing all these trips through the middle east did you keep journals or did you write this book purely from memory there was, we were doing magazine stories uh, through most of it. And so there was those records. Uh, we had a bunch of photographs so I could, I could visually go back. And then again, Josh and Nate remember basically every date, every major point. And so the, the whole, when I started writing this, the, my only sort of trepidation was this is all our story. And I didn't want to be the one to write it. So when I started, I was like, okay, hey, you guys have to write yours too. Uh, Cause I would love to read theirs, you know, even more than mine. Like they did yeah. had different interpretations and did slightly different stuff during parts of that. And so, sure. uh, but yeah, the, so heavily on sort of the magazine stories that I'd written uh, the photos that I, that brought back, back, back memories and then just pumping Josh and Nate. I mean, I was on the phone with Josh and Nate all day, a bunch, just trying to f- remember stuff correctly or at least timeline the timeline gets so unwieldy especially that it was so much time i thought it was extremely cohesive though the way it ended up i mean you you did your homework as far as like getting back with them on timing but um i won't do any you know no spoilers or anything but the three segments of the book flow together so beautifully and uh, it's so well written i mean whoever edited it really I mean, I, there wasn't a typo in the whole book. You know, I mean, a lot of times when you get, I don't know, all I can say is what turned out is if you don't mind me saying your finest work and, you know, I'm used to reading Beach Grid articles and and, uh, and stuff lately, but as it relates to the other two books in this book, it seems like it's getting um, better. But uh, I will say the other two were, were just as much fun to read. This one was just my favorite. Uh, thank you. I mean, it was definitely the one that, I mean, I've always hoped to get better as a writer. And, you know, I've never once taken a writing class or anything like that. And so I'm probably an idiot and totally should join a writing <laughs> workshop or do something. Uh, but I kind of want to push on myself as hard as I can first and see, I'm always afraid, which is probably a dumb fear that I'll lose my voice if I attend a course or, I mean, what a dumb thing to think though, is like, if I learn anything about this, then it somehow wrecks what I have where, right. I mean, but that's what I, I have. But this, this I, I one think, I did take a lot longer so thinking come, about it and writing it. Exactly. Coming from somebody who's done what you're referring to, which is like as a non-traditional student, I went back to school because I wanted to write screenplays and I wanted to write short fiction and maybe even long. And, and I did that and I found myself like weighed down by all of the good literature I was reading. And I felt intimidated by that. I met writers during that process um, that were super frustrated and super successful at the same time, but also like just living some kind of a personal hell. And just it was writing like, to a trope. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, and I met Richard Ford. He won the Penn Faulkner Award and the National Book Prize for Independence Day. And he, like, you could see it's just like, it's not necessarily the life that it sounds like or is cracked up to be. It's like, it's hard work. Everybody I've met. Even the serialized guys like Tim Dorsey in Florida, who does all these like noir um, novels, kind of Carl Hyacin-esque. And Connie Mae Fowler was one who was just an absolute um, dream at first and then turned out to be, you know, not so much of that. But what was um, heavy from that experience was that, well, I could have skipped all this and just banged it out like you do and found your own voice, which you have, and it's so much better, you know, and you write with command. And uh, I mean, the fashion, 
the, the built into the novel has me cracked up. I, I was I was thinking about the, when I was reading the other day about what you mentioned um, as it relates to what a cor- war correspondent should really look like, and I started thinking of Kevin Dillon in Platoon with the no shirt on and, and the cigarettes and the you know and you know and then you think of Apocalypse Now and all these things and you're talking V-necks and uh, Japanese. Uh, leather jackets it's just absolutely well it's hilarious you know you are a comedian to some extent and you do want to push forward you know some comedy sure but it's it's i mean with all the fashion stuff it's fun for me like at first i think in welcome to paradise i just was doing it to i mean when i first started writing for like surfing magazine or stab even i think i would put it in there just to make people mad i mean it's something i really like and it interests me but then i would just people would get you know you fag stop it or whatever and so then i would just do it more so i did it in walking paradise but i realized what it does or helps me do is anchor a story in place without having to continually uh reference you know where you can really put people there so even in reports from hell i feel everything i was wearing was totally true i mean there's that's the thing is i couldn't lie about any of this because or even fudge because there's pictures for all of it right and yeah. a bunch of the pictures aren't out there but they all exist even, i mean even the the videos that we did for current tv those all exist uh and so you can actually see but it also anchors my bad idea of fashion whenever because everybody looks back 10 years on you think what was i wearing right but it anchors it in a like stupid seven for all mankind jeans but there was a time and place where those were a thing and that time and place exists and so yeah i i i love it now as anchor to place without having to reference other stuff i mean hey for, for the record bell bottoms have always been a bad idea i mean <laughs> always yeah, the worst i, I was thinking those been on wetsuits yeah. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm less tall than you. Is how I like to put it, and, and how you and and David Lee put it is I'm less tall. But, less tall. <laughs> but yeah, no. You should see bell bottoms on a less tall guy. It's <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, You're. It's so pretty possible. Go ahead, John. I was just gonna say you. You mentioned the pictures, and that was actually a question that. And I, I was talking to Ashley this afternoon about two things. One is that you definitely have you have your voice. Uh, and, and I told her, I said, it, 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 when I read, as I'm reading the book, it feels like Chaz is just talking to me. Because you, you write in a very similar to, way to how you speak. And, and that's one of the things I loved about it. And, uh, and I really feel like you kind of took that to the next level in this book, even over uh, Cocaine and Surfing and, uh, and uh, Welcome to Paradise. But no pictures. Like, is that a, is that a publishing decision? Is that a rights issue? Like to t- talk about that. No. Yeah. It's not a, like the, it's not a rights issue at all. And what, I guess it was a public publishing decision. I assume they would want pictures in there, but I think they didn't. And the, so my editor's Epic. He's the same editor who did uh, cocaine, but like really smart guy in the, and the, uh, the publisher publishing house rare bird is completely awesome. I mean, it's a, indie darling beautiful beautiful publisher out of la um and they made the decision no pictures i think they just liked the story uh and that was it and decided not to give people visual reference which the only part that uh i was thought was missing was i really meant to do a map that had those drawn lines of where we went and the trips and stuff and so in uh in future editions i'll definitely include that but yeah the pictures there'll be something to do with the pictures at some point. I don't know what it is. There's so much out there though. I mean, we have, you know, I've lost so many computers and lost so many of them, but I think Josh and Nate have most of them still. And so there's reams of pictures from all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you could do a a coffee table book of just pictures. I mean, there's a ton of pictures out there. Lengthy captions, you know, (laughs) explanatory captions. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Next next project. Yeah. (laughs) I'm hungry for some Yemeni surf photographs. I mean, I actually, I was motivated to be like, is there really nobody there? And are the waves really that good? Yeah. I mean, I, I threw one up from Socotra the other day on Instagram uh, where, you know, so it was a Instagram or Instagram. Socotra we found on one side of the islands, we found a series of seven coves and the waves got better and better and better every cove. I was such a dumb surfer back then. I mean, I grew up surfing Oregon and, but you know, I, I surfing my whole life, but never had really an, even an idea of 
how tide changed way or swell. And so I just assumed, oh, if a place is firing, it'll be firing forever and always. So I think we got lucky some places, but there was, I mean, the setups were all on Socotra were epic. And then, you know, really once we hit Mokola, that point in Mokola was so much fun to surf. I mean, it was, yeah, nobody had ever surfed it. And the people had surfed uh, Socotra before. I don't know if they'd surfed where we had, but parts of the island. But nobody had ever surfed mainland Yemen outside of Aden. I don't even know wow. if they'd ever surfed Aden. So wow. every place we'd found was like, we are the first people to paddle out here, which was fun. Nice. And did that end up being like the way the, the, the surf progressed in those seven days in Socotra? Like, it, was that like a shadowing effect where you're the farther you go, you're moving outside of the shadow of like whether it's the Maldives or the Horn of Africa or whatever? There was no shadow where we were surfing on Socotra. I don't think, I don't know why it was just, maybe it was just the setup of the last point was just, I mean, it was just collecting the swell the best. Maybe it just had the, yeah, it was just angled slightly different, but it was, gotcha. yeah, it was a good three or four feet bigger. And yeah, I mean, for, I think we got dropped off in Socotra for a good, I can't remember how long, seven days or 10 days, but it stayed really good the entire time. Oh. Like little, like little fun barrels. Nice. summertime kind of stuff was it during the summer it was during the summer yeah that makes sense right yeah that's when the indian ocean's pumping out stuff. i mean it pumps all the time but that's when it's most active i mean that's i think that's the one thing we knew is that this is indian ocean indian ocean is good in the summer let's go yeah. in the summer yeah and then no. what about I, i'm drawing a blank on the name but the little island that you flew to yeah socotra that's socotra, that's socotra. okay yeah. okay yeah, yeah. And Socotra is just a such a crazy place. I mean, one of the one of the craziest places I've ever been in terms of just bizarre feeling and flora and fauna and all of it. Yeah, that, yeah. All the ten thousand words right there. Absolutely, yeah. that part of the book. I mean, it could have gone longer for sure. And um, just in general, the surf stoke that I got out of that Yemen and yeah, that first Yemen phase was uh, was real. I'm telling you, you, you did a good job. I mean, it just felt good, even for Kook from Oregon, to be able to go be the first person to surf somewhere. Yeah, the- oh, yeah. <laughs> pretty awesome. <laughs> That's great. Well, and I think, speaking of Kook from Oregon, I think uh, one of my, I'm just going to Chris Farley show it here real quick. One of my favorite parts is uh, you're, you're driving through uh, Beirut on, in the Audi, and you're getting into the shit. You're getting down south, and it's starting to get serious. And out of nowhere, we hear a flap, 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 which I thought was maybe like a gun or some kind of bullets. But, you know, I get to the next paragraph, obviously, and it's your lousy knot tying <laughs> on the rack that threw everybody, I mean, threw me off. I was starting to get nervous, man. I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. Here we go. It's going to get, they're getting into the shit. And no, it's you and your bad knot. Uh, so bad. So, so bad. Poor Josh and Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the motherfucker? Who didn't tie the fucking boards right? And you're in South I think, I think they know always who it is out of the gate. They don't even ever have to ask. <laughs> so now, circling back a little bit to, you know, you, you said you've never taken a writing class or anything like that, but you have a master's degree in applied linguistics. Do you feel like that contributes to your writing ability or like, do you feel like that ties together at all? And, and why, why did you decide to get that master's? I think it does in terms of love of language. Uh, I got it initially to be a Bible translator. I thought, okay, this is like, it'd be pretty cool to translate the Bible. But then I realized pretty, that would, I would be very bad at that. But uh, <laughs> I've always loved language and the way language works to open people, like, which I play it in a really clownish, dumb way. But it's, you know, even knowing like five words of a language uh, will connect you to somebody. Um, sure. And so, but I think the, what, applied linguistics taught me was that there are really especially in english there are no rules english is game on uh and so why play by rules like and it's not even know the rules then break them it's like who cares about the rules right like to to your saying i mean it's i take it as a great compliment or maybe i shouldn't but writing like i speak that's like i hear myself in my mind and i want words to feel more than i want them to signify kind of like or signify you know, I want them to signify, but I want them to signify as a feeling. Um, and so, yeah, I think linguist or loving language and especially English being able just to rip it apart. I mean, stinking Shakespeare, like half the phrases he wrote were completely made up 
and now they're the staples of our language. Yeah. And so <laughs> there's, there's something real freeing about that, I think. And at this point too, my uh, editor was the same, but also there's a separate um, what, copy editor. And so the copy editor also did cocaine and surfing. And so was able to rip through this one quick because I think in cocaine, she was like, what does any of this mean? Like, this is gobbledygook. <laughs> is, is he meaning to put this period here? Or why is he starting sentences with this way always or whatever it is? Um, and on this one, only notes I would get was, did you do this on purpose? And if I was doing it on purpose, then they would let it go. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. No, well, I absolutely take it as the highest compliment because you're, you're a storyteller. Um, and I, I love just sitting around shooting the shit with you and telling stories. And uh, that's how your writing comes across in the book. And so, yeah, it's meant, meant as a compliment. So please, please take it that way. Oh, that, I mean, thank you. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of compliments tonight, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The problem is you're, you're obviously a very well-read uh, and informed writer and you're getting older now. So like you're, you're a wiser, uh, you know, uh, presenter of material, if you will, with, I mean, throwing out Gellhorn and, and Hemingway references and the, uh, my life. I mean, honestly, how you guys didn't get fucking droned with that surfboard bag on your roof is beyond me. I, I mean, it's the epitome of stupid. You guys should have been killed. Just for, It's completely, yeah. completely idiotic. I mean, when we didn't even realize that until, I mean, the driver told us, but you know, <laughs> again, until we were up in the hills thinking, oh, wait a second, we're the only ones here. We're just trying to get into it. We're the only ones here and we have a giant shiny Mylar surfboard bag on the roof of our car, <laughs> of our Audi. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Just asking for trouble. Really dumb. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. I think, I think Chad's like when you're talking about never taking a class on writing, there's something to be said though for the not knowing factor. So it, because you're going more from your gut and it's no different than what you just were talking about of uh, most people who start a business, if you ask them, they say, well, if I would have known, I would have never done it. Like when you go like 10 years into the business, I would have never known I would have not started this business if I didn't known what it was going to be like. And so there's it's similar to art or writing. Um, when you're going with the unknown rules, you're, you're breaking things without even knowing it versus when you know the rules and you tend to not want to break them where you're just going with what feels right. And I think that that makes you a better writer. I mean, yeah, come, come, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, whether at some point, you know, whether it's ignorance or not, it doesn't matter. It makes you better because you're willing to try or do things because you don't know to not do it. Yeah, it's really, really a dumb, bad habit. But now I'm stuck doing it. So I'm so thankful for never <laughs> for not knowing what I'm doing, for not knowing how little I know. <laughs> how is banana milk not a, a big deal in the United States? I don't know. It is so good. And it kind of the size of juice boxes, it didn't come in big, big. It was like little minis. So yeah, it was like maybe yeah. four four ounces probably it yeah. was just the right amount and it was so ice cold and it was so delicious i mean how's that i mean it makes perfect sense we got almond milk oat milk we got everything it, it was so good i mean that's the thing about i i've never felt more healthy in my entire life than you know i think middle east is, you can get a think oh no i'm gonna get sick i mean maybe people don't think that with the middle east but sticking in middle east you got muslims a who are in devout muslims who are washing their hands all the way up to their elbows five times a day and then all the food was obviously local, like just fresh. There was, you know, every tiniest town would have a guy on the street corner blending mango and strawberry and making, you know, the mashekel juices. And like, you just feel like so good not eating one processed thing for, you know, the three months we were here. I didn't touch processed food besides all the candy bars and all that junk. Was it good? <laughs> or are you just remembering incorrectly or was it actually really good? Mm it was perfect. It was like, it was perfect food. I mean, that fresh baked bread, you just roll into a town and just see them making it in the burn barrels and, you know, slapping it against the wall and pulling out like these giant pitas and throwing the rice on everybody's in the floor in the restaurant. I mean, it's, I didn't like the goat. Uh, I'm not a goat fan, but the chicken and fish and everything else was just phenomenal. You no beef really. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, nougat's absolutely a thing, not a process. It's a thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a thing. It is. I'm so he's we crazy. Still, he's we crazy. We still fight about it to this day. <laughs> Nougat is a thing. Yep. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's our biggest fight ever, I think. Speaking of linguistics, there are words that work as both a verb and a noun. It's true. Uh, I suppose there's like a happy middle ground if you guys want to. No, there cannot no, be. Nougat not. is good enough to be a thing. Yeah. You can't nougat something. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> the, you, you, you won the argument, fair and square. You can't nougat something. I have to agree. <laughs> I have to agree. So uh, I have a question for you. Have you thought about fiction? Yeah, I, so um, my next book coming out is with a different publisher. Mm. Uh, and the way they do books, I guess, uh, or sell them is the next publisher always has an option for your next book. But I think my agent makes it real specific. And so I think my next book is also narrative nonfiction. The one after that will be narrative, narrative nonfiction to that publisher. But I'm supposed to be working on a fiction right now for somebody else. And I have some ideas. Uh, and I want to do it. I've given it a go. Um, I just haven't found comfort yet. I, I think that I'll think something's really cool. What I, what I always do with fiction is I'll think something's cool and then I'll just get so lost in the, like I wrote a whole, uh, what was it? This was going to be my big fiction. I thought it was so awesome. It wasn't even fiction at all. It was nonfiction, but I was going to make it fiction was I spent, it's probably like five or six days driving, uh, Oh no, it was one. I mean, I spent five or six days, but one day I thought I'm going to record every word that Craig Anderson says. I was with him and he was with his two Australian friends and I'm going to turn that into a novel. It'll be every single word they said that entire time, like describing the scene, but no fudging it at all. Just Craig talking to his two Australian friends and the, you know, weird Australian gangster that we meet up with and this, you know, so it was just one day. Uh, it's one day in the life of Craig Anderson. I thought it was going to be my one day in the life of Ivan Denisovich, the great uh, Solzhenitsyn book. And yeah. I, so I did. I wrote it all out. And it is the most boring thing ever. <laughs> uh, but, but that's what my fiction turns really boring. I'll like nerd out on like, I guess, stuff that people don't care about. I'll be super interested when I'm writing it, like describing the make and model of the TV and then going for 15 pages about the maker model of the TV fictional and then people but, read it and be like well who cares about the damn tv well how, how can fiction how can fiction live up to your reality that's that's what i'm thinking like dude you you can't write something as good as what you actually lived like but it's not i can't write anything as good as anyone's lived that's what i think when i met eddie rothman yeah. right i'm thinking how in the world could somebody invent eddie rothman like yeah. a yeah, jewish couldn't. gangster who runs the north shore or like <laughs> i just I can't, I'm not that creative. Like I can see a good story that exists, I think, but it's really hard for me to come up with a good story. Yeah. That's understandable. I, I also, who, well, who from a fiction standpoint are your guide point posts and uh, influencers, if you will? I mean, like guys like Norman Mailer who seem to swing so effortlessly between fiction and on or Tom Wolf, right? Where they can write, epic narrative nonfiction, but then they can go do, you know, bonfire of the vanities or whatever. Like that swing is so impressive to me, guys who can do both either narrative journalism or nonfiction and then swing it and write, you know, freewheeling. Like what is, uh, the, uh, what is Mailer's good war one? The something in the damned, whatever it is. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. It's so good. But then yeah. he, you know, writes the executioner song. I think that's Mailer who, which is, you know, a gigantic epic piece of narrative nonfiction where I don't know how you swing that way, but those are my guideposts, I think. Those two. Okay, fair enough. Are you a fan of any Thomas Pinchon or uh, how do you even pronounce it? Thomas? Yeah, I, I'm not not a fan. I just don't read. I never read that stuff and I never have. Like I've always, I mean, I guess Evelyn Waugh, he'd be my favorite nonfiction, but he's just a satirist. That's the thing. Everybody that I like from, I mean, for, sorry, fiction. Everybody I like from fiction is something else. They're, they're either satirists or journalists or they're, you know, Hunter Thompson. I think his fiction is pretty funny, but you know, he's clearly not a fiction author, but yeah, I, I've never written or read sort of any broad fiction broadly, which is maybe why I can't write it. Have you read Fierce Invalids Home from Hot Climates? No, but I'm going to now. That sounds good. It's good. It's up. It's up your alley. Uh, Tom Robbins wrote it. So okay. My favorite by him. Okay. It's good. I need. I need it. I need to start sure. reading it. I haven't. I haven't read widely in the last couple of years, just because I've been writing every day. And so at the end of the day, I just grab my phone and you know mindlessly mindlessly scroll or watch something. Like I love obviously film. Uh, 
but I, I need to start picking books up again. Oh, tell me about it. I'm glad I, uh, I'm glad I started this book lineup for one reason. Yeah. <laughs> I finished the book. It's kind of but, motivating. Uh, I know that um, um, Welcome to Paradise was optioned. Um, and any, any word on this book in that regard? Yeah, I got a, I actually got a meeting tomorrow up in Hollywood. Uh, it's had a couple phone calls. There's, yeah, definitely interest. I think the book is so broad, uh, the timeline that, um, yeah, I think there's way, there's interest in the subject matter. I think people want to, or I fear people might want to turn it into a buddy movie. Yeah. Uh, but to me, it's not. It's a book about radicalism and about belief. And so it can be a buddy movie, but as long as there's, as long as it's, I mean, yeah, we, I don't, I can't remember if I wrote about it or not in the book, but we did a, a Josh, Nate and I did a talk at the Hammer Museum um, after we came back from one trip. Uh, the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles was putting on like a speaking series. Um, and so we were there, you know, there's, I don't know, maybe 50 people came or not very many. Uh, but I think it was Josh who opened up, which just said the West that, you know, is dead. Uh, radical Islam is coming and it's a lot better than anything here. Everybody got up and left. And uh, I was talking like, but the person who did leave is some guy from Dawson's Creek, the actor, he stayed with his girlfriend. So that was no way. four people, the actor from Dawson's hey. Creek. But anyway, the, the idea that, I mean, Josh says today, like we tell, we called it like now the West is going through such a convulsion of, yeah you know, it just not working right of, you know, these racial divides and all of this stuff, like really grinding where there's a bunch of people now saying, wait a second, this is broken where, and we weren't, you know, trying to be prophets of, oh, it's broken because we don't like it, but just seeing sort of reading the tea leaves early and saying, wait, this is not going to last. The thing that's going to last is going to be the thing where people believe most, most fiercely about. And these guys believe like there's no shadow of doubt. They know what they're about. And how does how does somebody who's so wishy-washy like you know did you know, kind of this this day or you know i don't know how does that stand up to somebody who's fiercely believes so to me exploring the, the film has to the film version if it ever gets made has to explore that maybe yeah. it's a but maybe it's a buddy movie but it's done by tarantino yeah exactly exactly <laughs> something like that something yeah. something like a buddy movie with a a director who's not a or a director or writer who's not afraid to really really push yeah. uh, people to to sort of i don't know uncomfortable places this is this is a compliment to the author but uh again but i went into the book thinking what i normally think and that is that uh you know young uh impressionable muslims who aren't getting laid are persuaded into this terrible act of suicidally bombing um, innocent people to death. And, and, you know, it's unfair and it's not cool. And terrorism is not what hardline radical Islam may be about, but there certainly is that sort of branch. So that's how I went into the book. And then when I came out, I was like, okay, I can kind of see where, uh, you know, the, the belief system that's built into their every living breath from young age schools and all that is, is actually um, not necessarily violent extremism, but just radically extreme belief system that doesn't always translate into violence. And it's clear, I mean, you, you walked through some of the toughest neighborhoods and you were treated in in fact, possibly better than some, um, people have been treated by Americans in, in situations like that. I mean, that's the, that's the thing is it, it's not like they're all like, Oh, cool, bro. You're here. Like you, you know, you get into some real knockdown drag out fights and I mean, not physical typically, but, but uh, you know, they're happy to scream at you for your beliefs, but they're always willing to engage. And there is, there is just something about that engagement um, that matters. And we don't engage. We're, we're the ones, you know, more or less, we'd kill them with drones all day long, every day. I mean, under, you know, the last, two administrations, but really ramped up under the Obama administration, just like extra judicial drone killings all through the Middle East. It's like, if we think there's a terrorist there, we take him out. Right. And it's no questions asked. There's no judge. There's no jury where, you know, sure. I guess they did that to us, you know, at nine 11 and some other times, but not on the scale. I mean, we've killed 
hundreds of thousands of them and during the war on terror, you know, versus some real tragic days here. But scale-wise, it's not even close. Yeah, that violence is not what enters into the narrative of your book, really. It really yeah. doesn't play much of a role. And the part where I was fretting the most, which I'll, again, avoid spoiler alerts because I want other people to go out and buy the book and read it, but the, um, the nerve-wracking scene that you know that I'm talking about was, I, because I know the outcome. If I didn't know you, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't have so much confidence in the fact that it was going to end maybe in a, in a great way, but it was, I mean, had to have been like, you treat it lightly in the way that you write it. And I don't know for sure where you were at really on that. Like, where were you like shitting your pants or not? Yeah. I mean, I was, I just thought initially I was just really frustrated myself for pushing it too far. But then once I realized Josh was there, I just thought, okay, well, whatever happens, we're going down together and that's funny enough. Uh, what can we do? But the, I mean, there comes a point again, was, I think I wrote about it just sitting in the cell or the dungeon trying to think how much, how, you know, pain is pain. Who cares? Like how much, how much pain can somebody inflict? Like, doesn't your body just shut down at some point? <laughs> I mean, totally naive and dumb talking about not knowing the rules at all. Uh, but the, yeah, I mean, I was, I was more frustrated and then just thinking, okay, well, what, why be scared? Like there's, we're, we're probably dead, but that's the, that's the thing. Like there's absolutely no way I think about it pretty regularly. If there was two, you know, Shia Muslim guys with big old beards who were caught near something bad that happened during those years in America. I mean, especially in the height of the global war on terror, those guys would have been Guantanamo for at least a couple years until they got really sussed out and then they're Guantanamo. And so then they're, you know, there forever. Like the, the amount of grace we were given, we don't give, we don't even give a percentage of that grace. Like we were caught somewhere very bad with a very bad looking in a very bad looking scene. Yeah. And you're, and you're actually, your efforts were to document uh, what Israel had inflicted as a result of the kidnapping of their soldiers on a population that was otherwise just trying to make their way. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like the, uh, that the general gist of your, you know, the goal, the, the overall conceit, which is that, hey, slow down, everybody. Let's take a look at what it was like for us Americans to travel through these countries that would have otherwise been perceived as extremely off limits and violent and potentially dangerous. And uh, take a look at how we journeyed through these places and take a look at these, you know, these thoughts. I, I really didn't want to make, you know, the West isn't bad. Israel's not bad, you know, but also people do bad things all the time, but yeah, exactly. Like let's, let's leave judgment aside for a minute. And here's just a story about what I experienced. It is a personal story and it's a good friendship story too. It does have that, but I feel more that like your overarching goal with any kind of project that would come out of this um, is, is on the money and you don't want to make it all about the, uh, the buddy story. Cause no. And like really, go, go, going to hunt surf in the middle East is so who cares? I no kidding. Like it's not a character driven story as no. much as it is a, a cultural uh, story. And, but it's not heavy. It's not heavy handed, which is perfect because it's so digestible and it's a way to learn. I kind of wanted more history. You know, I wanted, yeah. I got, you got into it in part three and I was like, holy cow, he waited till part three to do this. But now um, I'm hungry for it. And I could have used another 10,000 words of that, you know? I really, really, again, hope that Josh and Nate get down to theirs because th those would be pretty history heavy and be really fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I got to ask, like Josh's, his theory, I guess, for lack of a better term, his theory on the headwaters of modern radical Islamic terrorism that led to our current global war on terror <laughs> Dude, has he published that? Is that being talked about? I mean, no, he was he was like a, the radical outlier in uh in, at UCLA. So he was he was writing it for his PhD there, and then his uh, first wife left him, and or kind of or didn't leave him, but their marriage broke down, and so he kind of got distracted, and then but yeah, I, that is still like a highly radical idea, and also his other one is that that like he would butt heads with his professors all the time. He's like, absolutely not. That, that Mecca and Medina were never trading hubs. They were religious centers. 
and yeah. the idea that the Marxist reductive thing that religion comes from or is somehow tied economically is he's like no it's all belief. Oh, somebody's dog is out. <laughs> John, is that your dog? No, it's not mine. I think it's Chad's. Oh, it's Chad's. Okay. Good Carolina but, dog. So, Good do you Carolina know? Dog. Does uh, Chaz? Does Josh have any plans to move forward with that? Or I think probably not academically. I think he's pretty bored of the institution at this point, and I think, I think you know, even just in the climate of of the climate of the institution now, right? The ability to say anything, even remotely anything at all without getting not just canceled, but just the lack of dialogue. I think it makes the, makes the Academy and the institution uninteresting to him. Gotcha. I mean, I would think from a, from a militaristic standpoint, if you, if, if the government found that there was a beginning point or these headwaters and they felt like they could, do something about that you'd think they would latch on to something like that yeah which which and and he had a lot of government interest in his theories uh so yeah like there was that was definitely happening not with him per se but yeah there there was the government was interested and is that is that school in india is that place still cranking them out yeah it doesn't crank them out like it did i don't think um but it's yeah daobond is still the school for yeah i mean it's it's a real pure line of thought that ain't you know again we all get turned around to i mean it's in the weeds here but the wahhabism and all that kind of stuff which just isn't like wahhabism is such a just a cheap form but that's what we all thought oh this is the bad form but and not that the deobon is bad it's just a lot more pure and a lot more it makes a lot more sense i think that that's an important distinction because we have radical you know the word radical is just Every every religion has radicals. Yeah, it's like I'm thinking we have a significant uh, portion of moderate Muslims. Then you have some people who are like, I would really prefer it if we follow the rules a little more appropriately, like the accountant accountants of the group. And then you've got the people who are like, this is exactly what it says. This is what we're going to do. The Dioban folks. That doesn't necessarily mean that all infidels need to die and they're going to be the ones to do it. It just Zero. means that you do get a few bad apples that come out of that line of thought and say, yeah, you know what? I feel like I need to blow up some people this weekend. Yeah. I mean, and Daobon's whole thing too, was that these people are never going to assimilate with us. Like this is not a, this is no game where we're all going to be friends. Like, so this is, this is war. This is our idea versus their idea, which there's something that has teeth, right? There's something interesting there. And, and again, to your exactly your point, not that, you got to, if you disagree with somebody that you go blow them up, but they were just like, this, there's no assimilation here. We're, this is us versus them. These are two different thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, that line runs through Christianity for centuries. For look sure. At the, look at the crusades. <laughs> for sure. I mean, today, I mean, for the, yeah. but even through, even through secularism, you know, like look at like the far, far, you know, whatever, where if you say the wrong pronoun, then you are, you know, committing massive sin right like every i think religion but every belief has these far reaches of where people are taking it the most seriously yeah thank god you don't do it that seriously you write it (laughs) i mean i i have to say walking away from this book i actually feel smarter about the topic and the issue so yeah uh, job well done on that oh well thank you thank josh yeah you took the time to write it down and sell it to uh, your fans, and I'm chalk me up as one. Oh well, thank you. Me yeah. too. And what, I mean, I, what was it? What was it like to be the face of Ocean Pacific? I mean, oh, I, just, <laughs> I, I totally thought I was too. I completely thought we're sponsored, sponsored because we rip. So I like, yeah, I thought I was so cool. Who cares, Ocean Pacific? It's yeah, I was cool back when the day. It's Tom Curran, me and Tom Curran are the yeah, same. Yeah, you're Curran. Yeah, and yeah. Taylor Knox. Yeah. <laughs> Did they? Were you the only team rider of Ocean Pacific at that we were time? The team rider, they just flew. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they were already so done. They were like so far gone, and I think they had just had success with um, the like doing their classics line. Yeah, so yeah. I think they thought, okay, we have a way in here but they didn't give us money because i mean it was 
I don't know if you guys know Michael Marks. He, he's like a uh-uh. long time kind of industry guy. He was at spy for a while. Uh, I don't know where he is now, but he just liked the story and had, you know, money. Oh, nice. to get. So nice. yeah, he was just like, sweet. Like I think he probably would have been happier if we didn't plaster our boards with stickers and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of time, the amount of time really comes off of the sheet of, of your signature on my copy. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, could you have drawn a straighter line? <laughs> it was like, did you get a real straight one? Yeah. I have, I did different. I was, uh, the first, the first round of signatures. <laughs> I did. Um, it's literally like, a, uh, like a Sharpie mark. Yeah. Know? But that's my, that's my literal signature. I got no other signature than that. Like that's, that's my signature. I did. So I, I think I'm on the third round of signing. Uh, the first that's one, I think I did hearts. That, yeah. So you got a heart. Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> you got a heart the next one on the second round i did crescents uh on the third round i did stars and so i thought oh i'm just gonna go through all the lucky charms for every, every book will have yeah one of the lucky charms in it are you sober this september i am with uh with josh and nate every we do three times a month go on the sun's anvil do you remember lawrence arabia when he yeah rides the sun's anvil so that's what we call the dry months are the sun's anvil or just the anvil now where it's just bone dry and you got to make it across that's it and <laughs> you're three days in. yeah three days in three days in but there's a lot of as with me and josh and nate there's a lot of rules uh and so when we're all three together we can drink and we're all three gonna be, be gonna be together tomorrow so <laughs> we can drink tomorrow. <laughs> you're not even gonna know no better yet I was huh? just going to ask: Are those guys in? Are those guys still in the Middle East? But obviously, they're not. They're yeah, no, they're they're both up in LA. What happened okay. to the construction company? Yeah, Josh's construction and Nate's logistics in Yemen okay. and uh, Kabul. No, Nate's here now, but he does a lot of Nate's. So he's, I mean, fluent, fluent in Spanish. So does a bunch of stuff in Mexico. Where I always think, always in Mexico City and stuff. Where I was thinking, how in the world are you fluent with Spanish and not like? just only in there all the time but he just like it's like a cast off he can speak spanish fluently and speak good arabic and yeah he's one of those kinds of guys nice anything else john you want to talk about um no i think i I think that's for the moment satisfied all my questions john stole two my only two questions (laughs) with the process and the movies what about a surf movie Chaz? ever again yeah, for sure. For sure. Every time I get, every time I get done with one, I think never again, but then, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think I can stop doing them for some reason. I, yeah, you can't. I've been getting the bug lately for, and I don't even have a story. I just think, Ooh, it'd be fun to tell another surf movie. You know, Lisa, I think was at the inlet today. I was actually, she? yeah, I saw, I, I saw Lisa, um, last like two weeks ago at Ponce and, oh. uh, she, she had back surgery and she's recovering from that. She hadn't surfed for like a year, she said. Wow. And uh, she came to Florida because of the warm water. She said that the water in California was just too cold for recovering from the surgery. And so she's so hanging out back here. back to her roots. Yeah, sur- awesome. surfing a bunch. And yeah, she's been down there. Corey Lopez has a little surf camp down here at Ponce. And she's been down there hanging out with him and his kids and surfing every day. And, oh, that's um, epic. Yeah, yeah. She said to say hi. Good honor. Good honor. That's great. Yeah, well, this has been a real pleasure. I have to say, every time I get to sit down and have a, well, you're not having a beer with me, but the next time you have a beer with me, this next time, just the chat is uh, is always nice. And with um, the celebration of your new book, which I have to say, really job well done. I can't say it enough. It's it's the best um, of Chad Smith at this point, and uh, I look forward to a lot more. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin. And honestly, thank you guys for doing this. And thank you for having me on. It's a real true honor. You got uh, it. We're so stoked to have you. Where, uh, where, would, where would you send people to get the book? Um, I mean, Amazon's easy. But for those who don't like Amazon, it should be everywhere. Uh, should be most bookstores, I guess. Um, Warwick's down here. Powell's I love. And Portland, if you want to support a good bookstore. Uh, yeah, but it's, yeah, Amazon's the easy. Yeah, congratulations again, Jazz. It's really quite good. Thank you, boys. You got it.
you so much for joining us for our first episode of the book lineup, the uh, quarterly book club uh, that we hope to bring you here on the Surf Stories podcast. And uh, we really had a good time speaking with Chaz. That was fun. Yeah. Learned some things about the Middle East and about politics. And yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. What do we got next? Um, yeah, look for our next uh, podcast coming up um, with Jamie Meiselman. And uh, Jamie was the founder of Surf Parks and was going to be the uh, creative guy behind the Ron John Surf Park in Orlando, Florida. He was the founder, and I think the title of this next podcast is going to be called The Anatomy of a Surf Park Failure. And uh, that's not to describe Jamie personally, but no. what happened is that the surf park eventually failed and talking about that experience uh i think you'll find out why a lot of these current surf parks are having so much trouble just getting the right traction it's just so many moving parts yeah jamie is really uh open with us and discussing what went right what went wrong um how things could have gone better what he could have done you know he, he really delves into the minutia of uh of everything that happened and uh, he's open and honest which is cool yeah, any other books we've got to read in the near future? Yes, yes. Our next book lineup coming in the fall will be um, She Surf, The Rise of Female Surfing from professional surfer, activist, and author Lauren Hill. And Stetson graduate, by the way. Uh, Stetson University graduate. Yep, Stetson University graduate and uh, born and raised right up the road in St. Augustine, Florida. So, yeah, Lauren will be joining us from over in Australia, and we're excited to uh, chat about her book and uh, the history of females in surfing. So okay. look forward to that. Yep, me too. And I uh, want to thank everybody for joining us for the first book lineup. We'll have Lauren next and uh, any input you guys have on, on the next book, let us know. We're happy to uh, take some feedback. Thank you. Absolutely. Cheers, guys. See you later.